Hey everybody, this is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. So before we get started, I just want to first apologize to everyone since I skipped out on a Sunday edition. I didn't even realize it because I got confused by the beginning of the year. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm not that smart sometimes. Um, I didn't know what day it was and by the time I like my, my I came like I came up and I like I I looked at the world like oh Sunday happened and I nothing just nothing just nothing um but that will not be happening this Sunday I will be releasing what I had planned on release to release since it is all recorded and like good um th- then and that was a little piece on VR theaters. Which will um, on VR for like as a as a movie theater experience replacement kind of thing, and that will jive nicely with the um, Lunchbox Rewind episode that will come out the following week. Um, I'm actually rewatching the thing for right now, but um, not literally as we speak, but like it's on on my Netflix screen. Um, but. On that note, let's get started with what we're talking about this week. And that's a little Yashke gem called Restaurant to Another World 2. Kimono, 
Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Restaurant to Another World, it is a take on um, the isekai genre. And what's the most interesting about it is most isekai involves usually, I mean, it's not, this is not uncommon, at least, usually involve a complete escape from our world to the fantasy world, A, and B, it's oftentimes some sort of traumatic event. If you if you look at um, Jabba's reincarnation or um, Musoko Ten- Tensei, that's probably the most extreme example. The main character dies in real life, not having really accomplished anything by around my age, like in his 30s, um, which in Japanese society is especially old. Um, and gets reincarnated, literally reborn as a baby in the, um, in the fantasy world of that show. And that's kind of rinse, reset, repeat for many isekais. I mean, there are so many isekais out at this point. Um, there's even one about a guy who just gets sent to another world with his working cell phone. Um, it's, it's a little ridiculous. But what hasn't really been done, at least in the way that Restaurant to Another World does it, is A, the reverse of that, which if you have any idea of what I'm talking about, um, it's the reverse It's the reverse trip that's interesting. It's not people going into a fantasy world. It's people and beings from a fantasy world coming out into ours, but not in, like, the gate scenario kind of way. It's more, um... And you get... What... So, before I get started on the mechanics of this, one of the things I want to say is, one of my favorite things about shows is when they give you the space to have to work out how the reality of the show might work. And I think that... I've got some. I've got some theories about Restaurant to Another World. Surprise! Um, is Restaurant to Another World leaves a lot to be interpreted because it's it's an isekai show. It's a not. It's certainly a non traditional isekai show that's interested in using it for an Iyashke food comfort show. So instead of being a show that's primarily about conflict and about like fighting monsters and all of this other stuff, it's more about people from a fantasy world coming forward into our world and experiencing our food. And the kind of secret of it is 
The food looked very good, but the food could also be very mediocre. And it wouldn't matter because it's done using technology and cooking expertise that just don't, it straight up don't exist in the fantasy world that um, are the are the, cli- are the main clientele of, or possibly the only, the main clientele, not the only clientele, they allude to, and finally in the, in the second scene they allude to the fact that he cooks for normal people too. Um, but that the kind of Saturday crowd don't, either don't have or don't understand. And this, this show leads you to, leads you to this like eldritch horror scenario in which, for all intents and purposes, did this phantom door that shows up all over the world on the fantasy world side of the door on Saturday. <laughs> Or the day of Saturn, as they call it, in the fantasy world. And just nobody knows fucking why. And people keep walking through this damn door. With, like, a maximum amount of hesitation. And most of... All of the first season and most of the second season involve people... Like, opening up this phantom door that shows up. And they have, like, uncharacteristically... So, for this show, very creepy, like, Eldritch Horror-style music that plays whenever people are like, Oh! There's an extra door in this room now, and it doesn't... Like, it's not attached to a... Well, open it, see, see what the hell it is, because I bet it's not going away, although it does go away. And... What they stumble into, and I've talked about this show before, what they stumble into is this kind of intentionally non-modern western eatery somewhere in Tokyo. You're That's all you really get on the location. And the and the chef used to be the person who you know, welcomed them and brought them in, but now he has a dragon girl and a demon girl who work as waitresses, and they go up and they greet the, the, like, new customers, and they bring them in. Now, this leads me to my, my bit, so, first off, my first theory is, like, that this door is a nightmare thing. <laughs> that no one, that, like, the chef knows how it works, and, like, a couple other people are revealed to know how it works. But other than that, everybody's just like, this thing showed up on Saturday in this cave. We go and we get some good food. We don't ask questions. But the other thing I love about this is he charges all of these clients, this entire rank of clientele in, de- in like the home currency of the fantasy world, which is copper, silver, and gold coins. <laughs> now... That's not real money. <laughs> but there's a thing called flipping metal. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically, if you've ever seen like a... I don't want to say most electronics, but a lot of electronics, especially small handheld electronics, have some sort of copper wiring in them. 
That copper is worth money. It, when you take an aluminum can and you can turn it in for five cents, that's how much that aluminum, that raw material costs. Copper, things like copper and silver and gold, which are considered quote-unquote precious metals. I know about this because I come from a jewelry background and am a silversmith, am a former like professional level silversmith and my my own mother was a um silversmith in the 80s um in the 80s and yeah in the 80s not like anytime before or after in the 70s and 80s probably but the long and short of it is is like those precious metals are worth their own amount of metal of money and a lot more money than you'd expect. So in my brain, as I started watching the second season of the show, I came to the realization that like he's charging them in this stuff because they're giving him pieces of silver and copper most times. So he is like on his off hours, I'm assuming flipping metal to make astronomical profits in their world. And, like, it potentially, with the amount of food that most of the, like, fantasy world characters eat, he potentially makes more than he does running the restaurant normally, like, on one day a week. In a way that is alarming <laughs> and amazing. So, like, that's the kind of, like, space they give you to fill in with your own crazy nonsense. They probably don't intend you to fill in, but you can if you want. It, it makes it more fun to think that this chef, middle-aged chef dude is, like, minting his fortune off of metal that couldn't exist here because it came from a completely other world. And the, the implications of that are just, like, hilarious and fun to me. Of, of that and the scary magic goddamn door that shows up Kind of wherever it wants to. Once, like, once it shows up in a place, it continues to show up in that place every Saturday. But, like, the way it's understood is, like, you could walk into your bedroom and this door could just be there. <laughs> Apropos and with warning of nothing. And that always strikes me as hilarious. So, and, like, also terrifying. And people, like... Greet this thing, it's like, oh, oh, this is new. The fuck's going on? And like, um, there's this, there are, there are a couple scenes of like people being like, um, so the lady of the house goes into the basement every Saturday and she doesn't come back until the end of the day. No one asked questions. That seemed we should go check that shit out. That seemed bad. <laughs> There's also a specific episode in this season, in the second season of the show, where two kids are like, evil witch lady lives in that tower. Um, let's go check out her lair. And the door is there, and they're like, um, this seems not safe. Let's poke it. And they end up at the, um... At the restaurant for like a day. And they're like, oh. 
So she's not a witch lady to, to, to just a magic door in that tower that she goes sees every Saturday. That that tracks, I guess. And the long and short of this show is that it just it it avoid it. Not only does it avoid conflict, but it sets up a way to avoid conflict in a way that is totally foreseeable and totally within the bounds of its own, of of whatever rules they've set up for the fantasy world. It's within those bounds, and it is something that you understand as like, oh, this restaurant has a new conflict zone because. The chef is an idiot, and it's maintained by the fact that the food is so good you don't want to not be able to come back. And the one thing I will say is oftentimes it's difficult to wrap up a season of this of these shows because you have to create you either have to go one of two ways. You have to go so happy that you don't care if it makes sense, or you have to go you have to which oftentimes requires building something up over time, or you have to create some sort of conflict for one or two episodes that is just, um, that at times can just fall flat and doesn't feel really significant. That's a, um issue with a show I'm watching for the next Thursday edition, um, which feels fun and light and airy in its ways, but doesn't really nail the um, gravity it needs to nail the like main, the main conflict with in a way that is effective. And so what what Restaurant to Another World Season 2 does is it, man, is it goes the happy way. And to go the happy way, what they do is they set up a romance between two two of the visitors. And two of the visitors who are, like, from opposite ends of... the From, from opposite parts of the fantasy world. One who's, like, a desert prince and he lives in the desert. The other who's this princess from a faraway castle. And... Ultimately, they have the prince propose to the princess, and while they get married in the other world, they get they have the reception in in the um in in Nicoya, the name of the restaurant, and what this show is also pretty good at doing, and what it does even better this time, it is pretty good at creating narrative reasons to present different kinds of food than you would expect. So the the wedding scenario is actually a narrative reason to present like a concept of a wedding cake or or the concept of buffet style of a buffet style dining and of like feeding tons of people at once and what how 
the way that looks in like a restaurant or a dining environment, which is this far cry from what the show has shown up till now, which is straight up like, here's your dish, here's what I think you'll like. Um, they have, they like introduce you to the idea behind cheesecake. They introduce you to buy the idea behind all the different varieties of cheesecake that you can get. Um, or a start to that. They do a pretty good job throughout this show of really getting you to see the maximum amounts of kinds of food. Um, there's a bunch of different food shows. Probably the one that does this in the most... That does something closest to what this show is doing in terms of, like, displaying the food is, um... Is, uh... Is, A, Ocean Bow, which is a manga and a anime that is mostly a manga, at least in the West, that is specifically geared towards introducing you to towards, like, Japanese cuisine, towards wine, towards, you know, fish, meat, different sections of Japanese food. Whereas something like, say, Food Wars is introducing you to concepts and introducing you to people who specialize in different kinds of food, like um, the blue-haired girl from Food Wars. It actually, she grew up in a, in a fishing town, so her expertise isn't so much in cooking, but in breaking down, like, big-ass, like, giant tuna. Like a, like a massive fish she can break down expertly. No bones in the fillet whatsoever. And that kind of, like, highlight of the, cra of the craft of food isn't really in, um... Is it in Restaurant to Another World? It's... But the, like, presentation of the different varieties and range of food really is in this show. And they present all the food as, like, you get a beauty shot of the food and before they eat it. And then you get the, like, all the problems melt away once they cut into it. And they're like, oh, my God. And... That's another kind of fun thing in this show is you're not just watching, you know, people from fantasy world eat, although that is entertaining enough. What you're watching is you're watching people from fantasy world, like, receive food that, to their knowledge, cannot exist. It's an impossible thing. And what that means is, like, people get, like, a steak in this show, and they're like, mmm. Meat don't happen like that. Mm -mm. That's not. That's not how food works. <laughs> and then they cut into it, and they're like, "Wait, what? This is how the fuck you? This is real." And like it goes on and on and on from there. And the one thing I will say is like. I'm going to call it unfortunate for this show. 
it's not even really unfortunate. It's just the way things are and they suck. Is this show was one of those shows that was its first season was very quickly a hit because it was this like kind of beautifully produced, very simple concept that hadn't really been done much before and in like the isekai space and was it's really well executed the first season is fan for the show it's also fantastic and it became a not just a sleeper hit but a genuine hit especially in the eyes of crunchyroll so crunchyroll ultimately when this show was about to come out they like a month early at um their convention did um did a preview of I believe the first two two episodes and I there's a way that we can do this stuff that we can like play those games that isn't quite so exclusionary when it comes to like previewing episodes, all this other stuff, because I understand the need for screeners. Screeners are important, are important, and they're useful for promoting a show, and also for giving writers a chance to review a show and stuff like that. And I actually talked about screeners in a video version of the podcast that I backed away from because. The video aspect of Anchor is, like, weirdly cursed. Um, because you can only watch it on Spotify. Um, but... I understand the need for that kind of stuff. And, like, I understand why it's not just okay, but good that a writer or viewer gets six episodes of a thing before anybody else does. Even a podcaster like Mark Marin should get that kind of stuff. That That is all a useful greasing of the wheel for the publicity, promotion, and evaluation of a show. But I've notoriously never liked the, like, screener scenario because with that... I really don't like it with movies also because... What can end up happening is only a small section of people get to see the work. And for a long time, they're the only people who have seen the work. And that provides an air of, like, privilege and advantage and reason to go to a convention. And I get it. I mean, like, I saw parts of Cree of Palm before anybody else did. Because I went to freaking Big Apple Anime Fest in, like, 2015 or some nonsense. Um, or whenever the last Big Apple Anime Fest was. I think it was way before that. But in any event, um, I think it might have even been 2005. Um, I'm old. But the long and short of it is, is that I would have liked more for a premiere event to be streamed live. Especially in the era of like COVID and like, the, the world, um, so to speak. I would like more of something like this to be streamed live than something like this to be an in, like an in-person event because something that I, 
that I think everybody learned and everybody refused to acknowledge from the COVID days is when there was an option for a kid in like Mexico, Missouri, let's say high slate. Um, I slated from Missouri. Um, <laughs> to go to an anime convention in California via because it's being streamed live because it's a like online convention type thing. If it's reasonably affordable, if it's like within affordable means, which is easy because it's a stream thing, not a live thing, it it gets more people into the convention. It gives more people an opportunity to see that stuff and experience that stuff. And will everything be run as well as the first one of them was, which was a like Discord server that would like masterfully run with different channels and all the nonsense you can imagine. And it was great, including, and I'm not kidding you, a channel in which everyone was role-playing Half the channel was role-playing as wedding guests, and the other half of the channel was role-playing as cosplaying con attendees, since that's a very common thing, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> the long and short of it is, it's like, holding live events like that decrease exposure and accessibility. And... For a movie, for like a movie premiere, I understand that's a really traditional thing, and like you want you want a premiere. It's a big, it's like a big splash for a celebration of a thing. But to just have the first two episodes screened to anybody who had the financial and geographical, quite frankly, means to make it there seems like it's not worth it to me. And that, that's what happened with this show. And also the other thing that happens is you get... You spring up all these like, oh, tons of people have seen the first two episodes. The first two episodes must have come out. And they didn't. And then you forget about it for a longer time than you would because you stop looking for it. Which is actually what happened to me. And the... So... At, and this is probably going to end up being a shorter one because this is an Iyashke show and so much of the feel of the show is experienced from you watching it as Iyashke things are. But the, the show does a really good job of maintaining that positive feel of when conflicts arise them being proportional to the scope and gravity of the show. And it... It's a real... So, I... I have some... I have some shows, usually about one a season, where I will see a show and I'll just be like, okay, this is the show, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pour myself a drink at night. And I'm just going to watch. It's going to be my unwinding show. This was that show for me this season. Um, previously, that show was Tokyo Revengers, which I know sounds like a weird thing considering the like violence of that show. But it's just like, usually it's a show of such quality and of such like comfort that it's so good that I'm just like, this. I'm going to 
thoroughly enjoy this in a way that I am consciously saying, like, I'm sitting down and I'm enjoying this show for the 22 minutes or whatever the runtime is. And oftentimes I do that at the end of the day because I, like, nobody else is going to bother me. I can just sit with this show and just be happy the clam for, like, 22 minutes a week. And that was really Restaurant to Another World. And it, that was also Restaurant to Another World when the it first aired, it's when its first episode of its first season first aired. Because... Much like something like Flying Witch, it captures that Iyashke and more importantly that like food Iyashke show quality so incredibly well and like with a like craft and um perspective that is so fine tuned that it's just it's just worth your time. And it's actually so worth your time that I I probably don't use my theater room for at for as like much tinkering as I've done with it. I probably don't use it quite as much as I should. But on occasion, I will either watch a whole series or a whole season of a show on it, on my theater screen, or I'll pop in for an episode just to see how it looks. Because and this is a thing with um. With Netflix movies in particular. Many Netflix movies are shot and designed for a TV screen. They're not shot and designed to be projected. It's just, they're slightly overlit. They're like counting on you having like a border to your viewing. They're not counting, they're counting on maybe a 65 inch 4K. Not a 180 inch projected like theater experience, they're just—it's just not a thing they think about usually. With animation, sometimes that's true. Sometimes, like this show is very clearly like a show that should be on TV. Uh, but every once in a while, something like a um, brand new animal, I watch entirely on a projector. Um, I watch um, parts of. Uh, the Great Pretender on a projector, um, that looked great, and I watched an episode of um, of season two of Restaurant to Another World on projector. I was stunned at how sharp and beautiful it still was once the characters were like human size and not. I have a thirty-two inch, very good looking, but thirty-two inch TV. I do most of my. TV show watching on because I'm not that far from it and it's still good so I'm not going to bother pumping it up just yet. And on that note I think this is where I'm going to leave it. If you want to watch um, Restaurant to Another World Season 2 it is currently I believe I know it's streaming on Crunchyroll but I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere else. But you can definitely go find it on Crunchyroll. And they are even doing an English dub of it. Which you have to like dig through the seasons to find. Because Crunchyroll... No one gets that right. But Crunchyroll really doesn't get that right. Actually, hilariously. The people who get that right are Funimation. Which they get little right about their player. But you can 
swap between English and Japanese pretty easily, which is nice. Um, and new episodes, if you like this show, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. I will remember the Sundays going forward. I got tripped up last Sunday, but you'll get that episode, um, this coming Sunday. And on Sundays, shows are about more metatextual things. They're about the industry, that kind of stuff. Whereas Thursday shows are more like this. They're about individual work or movie or series. And on that note, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday.